Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm the Gnarly Gnome. This is Sensi Brewcast. It's the voice of Sensi Craft. And I, I know that over the winter, things were, were rough. Things were scarce. Uh, there was, I don't know how many weeks where I didn't have an episode because life is chaos. Um, but two weeks in a row, new shows. Hopefully we're back on track to have normal normal schedule for you guys. So, so thanks for tuning in. If this is your first time listening to Cincy Brewcast, it's a craft beer podcast. I, fi- I assume you figured it out because you probably read something before you just started clicking on random podcasts. Um, but if not, we just run around from brewery to brewery, tap room to tap room. We talk to the people that uh, own the places, make the beer, drink the beer, um, all of all of that. I don't think we've had anybody on the show that doesn't drink the beer. I don't think. I would hope not. I'd have to look at the list, but I, I'm pretty sure everybody drank on the show. Um, this one, a uh, really long time in the making. Uh, you guys opened your doors and okay, we'll, we'll start there. So we'll introduce everybody. We got Chad, we have Chuck from Narrow Path. Um, when did you guys open your doors? Because I have in my notes either 2016 or 2017, depending on how you look at it. Depending on how you look at it, <laughs> you are correct. Yeah. Um, so we did our first uh, soft opening uh, at the end of 2016, so December 2016. Uh, we, we had four beers available, four beers on, so we thought, ah, let's, just, let's just open the doors to friends and family and right. see what happens. And, uh, and then uh, and word got out. And at that point, like, there were you know, generally breweries opening in the area, and, uh, and we were one of them. So people, uh, people came and drank a lot of our beer. So then it was like, <laughs> oh, shoot, I, well, okay, um, well, we got to figure out how we're going to make more beer. Um, and it, like every weekend, it was like, oh, this is, this is actually great to be selling beer. Um, so we're going to kind of keep doing it. Um, and then we just kept like running low on beer. So finally, we had uh, some people who were in uh, and they're like, hey, when are you guys going to open on St. Patrick's Day? And I was like, uh, man, I, I don't even know. Like, I haven't, I haven't even looked. I don't even know what St. Patrick's Day is um, this year. Uh, and they're like, well, it's on a Friday. I said, oh, well, we've been doing these soft opening things, and we typically don't open until like 4.30 or 5 on Fridays. Um, and the guy looked at me with like I had two heads, and he was like, well, it's kind of a big deal down here. Like, you should probably be open. And I said, well, I, I, I don't know, man. W- what do you think? And he said, are you going to open at 9 a.m. or are we just going to have to sit around and wait? I said, you won't be here at 9 a.m. He's like, we will absolutely be here at 9 a.m. I said, all right, well, then we'll open at 9 a.m. And since we're going to be here all day, we might as well just call it our grand opening. So technically, what we say internally, externally, is that our grand opening was St. Patrick's Day 2017, March, March 17th, 2017. That is... That is what I have considered in my notes, but I don't know. It gets confusing. It, it is. I get it. Totally OTR, get it. OTR Stillhouse is the same way. They started production in 2017 and just finally opened their doors and had their grand opening and actually opened this year. Well, not this year. It was, yeah, it was this year. Was it January or it December? Was December it was, was it December? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. Time doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. That um, place is awesome. By um, way. That place is beautiful. Really, really incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you, and we're probably getting way ahead of ourselves here, if you look at the how much things have changed in Cincinnati beer or Cincinnati beverages, I guess, because of all the stuff that places like that are doing, uh, it's changed a lot yeah. since 2017. Yeah, this was, this was almost still 
a novel idea to open a craft brewery. And at the time, it didn't seem that way. It seemed like there was a thousand breweries and everybody was doing it. But you look back at it now and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, without looking at my notes, I don't know what number in town you were, but uh, I'm going to say it was probably what in the 20s, maybe when there were, you know, if that maybe. I, probably a little bit higher, but yeah. I, I liked it. I, li- I would love to think of it that way. I don't if know if we're that's talking true. about the entire <laughs> tri-state area. I think we were in the fifties. You think? I think so at that point. Oh, okay. there's, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Pro- it, again, it depends how you count it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either way, like it, it, it wasn't, it didn't look like it does now where you have these places like OTR Stillhouse that'll open up and they have this massive outdoor space and they have, you know, food all ready to go and they're, they're, they're distilling and they're making uh, seltzer and beer and uh, they're making their own soda and wine and all this stuff coming out of there. And it's open their doors with everything just dialed in, knowing exactly what they're doing and, you know, right. investors coming out your butthole to make all that happen. Like it, it is a different world now than it was in 2017 that's Definitely for sure world, yeah. um we have a lot to talk about though because this is our first time sitting down and doing a show yeah so let's go let's go way back in the way back machine uh how does this idea happen how did you get this idea to start a craft brewery uh did it start with home brewing that's usually the way things start for people <laughs> yeah it, it did start with home brewing but it, it even started before that well the idea didn't start before that um the idea to even learn how to home brew um Started way before that. So I, um, I, I've kind of noticed like even, even before, you know, the last five years and how like socially fragmented we've become like there was, there was a, it seemed like the older generation of men and the younger generation of men had a hard time communicating with each other. Yeah. Um, so it was like the younger, shout out to my dad and grandpa for just staring at me and not knowing what to do with me. (laughs) Uh, so the younger generation not emotionally damaged by that. <laughs> not the only one. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and cut the podcast short and um, turn these mics off and talk about some deeper things. Um, the younger generation really like wanted to ask questions and like, how do I live my life? And uh, what's what's the what are the things that should be meaningful and valuable? Um, but they they couldn't figure out how to necessarily bridge that gap. And the older generation was like, man, I've screwed up a million ways. No one wants to learn from me. I'm, I'm an, an utter mess. Uh, and so there, like this dialogue between the two generations was, was happening less and less and less. So I started this thing, which I internally called reverse mentoring. Um, and I would just ask an older guy, hey, what do, you, what do you do that you love? What makes you come alive? And, what, and, and so I committed whatever he said, I would say, I would love to learn how to do that. Will you please teach me how to do that? And in the middle of doing that, we could kind of share stories. We could kind of share life. We could ask questions. You know, we could uh, we could talk on a more deep level when both of us were staring at a problem or a way to do something. Um, so I learned how to do all kinds That's of. That's fascinating. It's I, I learned how to you know do some. I mean, my grandpa would have taught you how to watch Bonanza really good. <laughs> Well, we would have talked about, you know, the, the things that were important to him in that and, and, you know, and, you know, why he got a little choked up, you know, when the, when the horse broke his leg and, you know, we, um, but I learned how to do all kinds of things, you know, woodworking and making kombucha and craft beer and like, you name it. Like I accrued a bunch of skills in the middle of that, but I also like accrued a bunch of life, uh, in the middle of that. Um, so one of the things was, uh, I asked this guy, Hey, what do you do that makes you come alive? What do you love to do? And he said, Oh, I make beer on Saturdays. And I said, I would love to learn how to do that. Like teach me how to do that. And so, uh, I started doing that and, 
And I just... Were you a craft beer drinker before that, or... I was a craft beer drinker. And I actually w- did want to learn how to homebrew. Um, so I... Uh, so we started homebrewing. Uh, I got, like, neck deep into it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, hey, I read this online, uh, and um, I'm going to buy this piece, and I'm going to build this thing, and we're going to, like, how come we don't do it like this? Let's, you know, and, and I was, like, driving this other guy nuts. Um, but we started to make beer that was uh, more in-depth. It wasn't just extract homebrewing, right. you know, where you sit around and, you know, you don't really actually do much. There was, we, we were invested in the learning of the art uh, of it and um, uh, just kind of upping our skills and learning what the ingredients actually did. And it's not just pouring a, you know, a bucket of liquid and stirring right. and, you know, trans- and carrying a five-gallon bucket of boiling wort you know, from one part of the deck to the That's about the how far my uh, homebrew went. Yeah. <laughs> That's why a lot of people stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I got really into it, and we got to a point where it was like, we can't make any more beer because we don't have anywhere to put it. And so I would just group text all of my friends, one word, porch. And it was like the bat signal. Like, all these guys showed up to my porch. It was a block and a half across the river there. Um, this really old 1913 house that had no exterior insulation. Like it was a great house nine months out of the year, but it was freezing. Like now it would be totally freezing. Um, and we sat around and drank beer and all of those guys were like, man, this is really good, man. You guys should totally do this. You should totally do this. I'm like, look, like you guys realize you're not going to drink for free. Like you, you shouldn't be wanting this. Like it tastes a lot better when it's free. Yeah. It's, this is a really good deal for you guys right now. Um, but, and every night, you know, it was like, yes, this is a great idea. Great idea. And then I would wake up on Monday morning and be like, no, no, this is a terrible idea. Like the, like the math worked out last night. It doesn't really work out. Like when you really sit down and think about all the work that it's going to require, all the planning, all of the, all the time, all of the energy, all of the muscle that it's going to take to make this work. Um, you have to have a, you have to have a lot of money or you have to have a, a willingness to um, get your hands really, really dirty and uh, spend a ton of time researching things. Like I researched this for years before we started um, and talked myself out of it and talked myself back into it and then out of it and into it. And finally, I just got to the point where I was like, look, I really like what I'm doing. I really like my job, so I don't have to do this. Um, but if we're going to do it, we need to stop talking about it and we need to press forward into doing it. Um, so we took one step that I thought for sure would like the door would close and that led to the next step that I thought for sure that door would close, you know? And, and I kind of likened it to like, look, you got to climb Mount Everest like seven different times, you know, it's like you, you, you climb up the one and it worked and you're like just dumbfounded that it actually worked. And, uh, so you start climbing the next one. And when I thought that we'd be stranded on the side of the mountain or the door would close, the door would be open. And not- when, when is that point where you start to realize that it's not going to close or have you hit that point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hopeful. That, no. um, you know, I, it seems like you overthink things a lot along the way. Like you seem like a very, uh, and then there are very different personality types that I've seen kind of go into craft brewing. And, and one of those is the overly analytical, uh, 
person. And that, that seems kind of where you're fitting into things. I'm definitely not <laughs> under analytical. I've never been accused of that. So yes, for sure. I'm, 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 I'm a ready aim, aim, aim. <laughs> nope, not going to work, you know, cause, cause I'm not like, I didn't, I, we, we didn't have a money, a ton of money starting right. this out. Right. So it was like, if this is going to happen, it has to work. And I will eliminate every potential variable that might preclude it from working. I will think through every single problem. And if we get to a point where I think this is going to work and we do it, I'm pretty certain that it'll be all right. You know? Um, so I, I think it was, I mean, honestly, I, I, I kind of got to this point where I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do this. Like I can see into the future and I can think, oh my gosh, like I can see how much time this is going to take. I can see how much effort it's going to take. I'm going to, I see all the work that's going to go into this. I don't know if I want to do it, but at that point I had told too many people that I was going to do it. Right. And so I, that was, the, that was the external pressure of like, okay, I got to just got to keep taken. There's something to that. And I've, I've read lots of stuff on how to, you know, accomplish goals and stuff like that. And the accountability side of it is a huge thing that, you know, a lot of people don't think about of how important that is to actually just do something. If you tell somebody you're going to do it, you've got somebody that's now going to be pestering you and be like, all right, when's this happening? When's this happening? When's right. And there's, they're always kind of pecking at you and that kind of forces you to keep moving forward with stuff. I've got a really good friend um, named Alfio. He runs uh, Alfio's Buon Chibo uh, in Hyde Park. Um, just brilliant guy, Argentinian guy, um, very passionate, very charismatic. And he and I were talking about this uh, late one night and he was like, if you don't do this, at the end of your days, how are you going to feel? And I was like, oh, man, if I had the chance to do this and I don't do it, how am I going to feel? Right. And so that was, that was also one of the things that like intrinsically motivated me. I had all this external pressure. These friends were like, hey, how's the brewery thing coming? You know, but this internal pressure of like, man, if I have the chance to do this and I don't do it, how am I going to feel about myself? Right. You know, so... Definitely, definitely tapping into something that is very, uh, very close to me right now after just quitting my day job. And, yeah. and, and you know, it's, uh, it's something that um, kind of the, that same thing. It's not, I didn't have a lot of that external pressure of people saying, oh, when are you going to do this? And nobody really cared all that much. Uh, maybe, maybe my wife, but maybe the other way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, don't do this. This is stupid. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that idea of at the end of the day, every single night you lay down in bed and like, what's on your mind and what are you thinking about? And if... If you don't eventually change something, are you just going to live with that forever? Like that, that right. nagging thing in the back of your head, right? Like just, and maybe that's why, you know, I do a lot of things that I do is just to shut that voice up in the back of my head until he starts speaking up about something else. But yeah, we should drink a beer before we keep going down the, yeah, the sure. story here before I mean, some of these get too, uh, too warm from the beer fridge. Um, all right. What are we drinking here? Um, I mean, we have, we, drink? we have beers in front of us. Yeah, too. We've got, we've we can got talk all kinds about of things. Um, we, you know, I pulled out a few things. We've got our, uh, we're, we're one of the few breweries. I don't know how many in Cincinnati have a mixed fermentation, long form Belgian sour beer on draft. Um, That's a good question. We, we've got, uh, our Essentia that was, uh, seven months in a French oak red wine barrel. Uh, and then we've got a, a cherry variant of that one. Um, Essentia won a medal in the Ohio Craft Brewers Cup. Um, I feel like I should start with the uh, yeah. the, the base version. Yeah, here. there you go. Um, so talk about 
the logic behind doing something like this because there are some places that do it because they think it's what the, the, their market is dictating that they have to do. It's something that they're extremely passionate about. They're, you know, urban artifacts, you know, all they do is sour stuff and, you know, trying to get those, those barrel aged sours out there was a huge part of their, their, their business plan. Uh, then there's places like you that I don't think you need to do this. We don't. Um, I don't think that probably the majority of your local clientele probably doesn't really give two shits about how this is produced or why it's produced. That's right. Uh, so why? Why do it? Uh, because there are things that I need to do to keep myself creatively engaged. There are things, there, there are things that I'm passionate about that if I don't do those things, um, there's, a, there's a piece of me that dims down. And if, if God, It's so good. Thanks, man. So good. Um, if that piece dims down, then everything dims down. I think. I think a lot of times we think of like, oh, there's this. There's this piece of us that like, if that dims down, it's okay because I can supplement. Um, I can drive my energy in in this other direction. But really, like all of our emotions and all of our like affect is like one big dimmer switch. And if there's a piece of that 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 gets drive driven down, then uh, like all of me gets driven down and I become less excited. I get, I get less passionate about what I'm doing. Um, so something like that, uh, keeps me really creatively engaged. This helps cancel out making seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. this is the, this is diametrically opposed to making seltzer. Um, which we have to, which, which we don't not do. Um, so yeah, this, this is something that's, it's passion project. We don't make a ton of money from it, but it's something that, um, that we, that I love to do. Um, and you know, it, it is so good. It, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that in their, their mixed fermentation programs, it leans really heavy into the tart side. You get a lot of that acetic kind of vinegar kind of thing going on, yeah. which is fine sometimes, but, um, this is really, really light and really easy drinking. And, uh, you know, that wine presence comes out you know, front and center. And, um, I feel like that, that side of it is fun to me like that. That makes it so that when somebody does walk into your door and they say, Oh, I don't like beer that you can get them into something like this and something that is, that's really different. And you can start that conversation of, you know, if you're a wine drinker, you know, try this and just, you know, think about it for a minute and, yeah, and kind exactly. of explore how these two things are, are, are closely related. Yeah, this is this is amazing. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, it it's, it's really nice to have a beer like this on as well, because a lot of people come in and they're like, let, "Let me look at your draft list," and they see something and it says sour, and they're like, "Oh, I hate sours." And you can tell that they've had like a you know enamel ripping mm -hmm. like experience with sour. Uh, or a massive indigestion issue with it's like okay well this is something different this is not a kettle sour this is a long form barrel aged sour that we intentionally pitched like uh, two Saccharomyces strains Lactobacillus strain two Britannomyces strains uh, like we were we were artfully engineering this as best as we're able to um, and this this is it's not it's not super aggressive it's light it's approachable it's it's tangy it's tart it's it's a hopefully a beautiful representation of what the this kind of beer should be right um, and it's not just a and and we we also do just fruited kettle sours or we do fruited gozas um, but this is something totally different this is this one's unfruited but it expresses in very unique ways. How do you find that balance between stuff, between maybe the stuff that you have to do, like a, like a seltzer or your electrolyte beer, you know, the things that you people are just 
clamoring for because of whatever reason that's what they think they need to be drinking right now versus the stuff that really engages you versus the stuff that you have to have on tap just because you're a car, you gotta have an IPA, you know, you gotta, right. you know, how do you, how do you find that balance between stuff? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really know other than everything here is small batch. And so if something isn't selling, we just don't make it again. You know, if something is selling, you know, a ton, it's like, okay, we, we, we hit on something there. We need to, we need to make that, but we've got, currently we have 15 taps. We're a five barrel brew house it's it's wedged in this 2,000 square foot building um, so we're not ripping through beer as fast as a lot of other places but we are ripping through batches of beer right. as fast as other places so we get so part of the the idea of starting this was let's do small batch stuff let's get a, a quick feedback loop where we where we hear from customers we we see what they're drinking we see their faces light up or we see their faces pucker up you know like uh, we get direct immediate customer feedback was that uh, and I probably know the answer to this before I before I ask it to you but is that was that kind of almost a happy accident though that uh, the size of what you guys have here is just kind of the biggest that you can fit in this space. <laughs> the space <laughs> definitely dictated uh, the size of the tanks that we could uh, put in here. But I also, like, I didn't want to, as a home brewer, scaling up to uh, being a commercial brewer, like, that's that's daunting, you know? And I didn't want to, I didn't want to put 15 or 30 barrel tanks in here, right. you know, wedge them in here and then realize I'm not really good at this. You know, uh, I wanted to, let's do small batch and let's brew like crazy. Let's brew, you know, multiple times and, and figure out how to get better, you know, and how to, um, how to make the things that are difficult work, you know, dial in the process. And when, if we grow, It'll be organic growth. It'll be because people want more beer. It won't be because I'm presuming that I'm good enough to make beer or figure out how to make beer that people will love. It's just a response to um, people really liking the beer. So actually, so we started with three five-barrel fermenters and one 10-barrel fermenter. And then like we got into uh, the big, like March, April, May... 2020, which was when all the COVID stuff was like shutting everybody and What's everything COVID? down. Yeah, it's, 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 let me tell you. Um, Something happened? Yeah, there's, yeah. Once they, once they took it's a the, really bad long dream. <laughs> May 2020, once they opened up to the restrictions on places to allow guests to come back in, we really needed more volume. Sure. Space, so. Yeah, so there were tons of people who were coming on the bike trail. Like when everything was shut down and people couldn't come in and we could only do carry out, we, um, I had this idea like like the Sunday before everything closed, like let's do a growler, howler, crowler club. And if people prepay for six growlers, we'll throw in the, the glass and we'll fill them all at the lowest fill cost. Right. Um, or, you know, if you prepay for 10 crowler cans, like you get them all at the lowest fill cost. So uh, that kind of kept people coming back. It allowed us to capture uh, a larger amount of cash than we probably would have uh, in that moment. But it 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 kept drawing people here uh, and we ended up needing to make a whole lot more beer. So we had the three fives, the 110, and I had to put in another 15 just for us to kind of keep up which is pretty remarkable in that moment right. to think, oh my gosh, we're at now, granted, this 
size relative to most other breweries is not a ton, but for us, it was like, that's a really big deal. I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be able to ride this out. You know, it's, it's interesting. The amount of breweries for, for different reasons and different, uh, different ways to get through that. But overwhelmingly the majority of people I talked to were like, yeah, I mean, we were worried. We don't, we didn't know what was going to happen with right. stuff, but, uh, we, we were okay. Like we had, we had this really tight group of, um, regulars and people who supported us before and support us during and will support us after that, that some, some places had really good years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know, like it, it, uh, it, it, I don't know that that's the same for every industry and I don't, I, I know that's not the same for every industry. And I know there's lots of people that are still, uh, suffering a lot as a business because of, uh, the way the last couple of years have been. But, um, craft beer for, for whatever reason is, is a little bit different than, um, than any other industry. And, yeah. Um, yeah we found that. So as, and, and again, the last couple of years aside, it's an anomaly. It's, it's strange, but, um, what is the, 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 the future for narrow path look like for you guys? Is it, you know, it seems like you're, you're very much on, um, it seems like this is just a, a, a journey. You know, it's, uh, there's, it doesn't seem like you have some big long-term goal of where narrow path is supposed to be. It seems like it's, it seems like you're there. Yeah. This is, you know, if you can keep this sustainable and keep you happy and keep these customers happy and keep, you know, this, is there some kind of future plan for, for where it goes? I think, uh, you know, we started this fairly small so that we could expand into multiple potential universes if that's what we wanted to do. I also started... Hamilton, Ohio would be really great, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's very uh, very ha happening up there. There's uh, a lot going on <laughs> up there. Uh, um, so, yeah. So, I had to also be emotionally prepared that if this is all that we ever do, can I be happy doing it? You know, and, um, it's, it's really, it's really amazing to me. Uh, like we're this tiny little, like we barely exist. Like if uh, we're so freaking small. Um, but like in terms of influence, in terms of the amount of like head brewers that come into the tap room and hang out and look at the tap list and drink beers and, uh, ask, process questions um like I, I i feel like we're fairly influential i'm i'm impressed that you're aware of that and maybe some people just aren't honest about it when i you know talk to them about it some of the places that are like that like, oh i don't know i just kind of do my thing and I don't, I don't notice uh this is one of those places that seems like everybody is talking about and everybody is excited about and everybody's like oh man have you have you been there have you have you tried what they're doing like oh this is just this tiny place it's I don't know if the size helps that kind of impression for people. Um, it's, I don't know. I, yeah, you know, not to not to make comparisons to uh, to blank slate, um, but it, there are there are parallels to a place like this and a place like blank slate was, where you walk in and you can well, except in the summer for you guys, you can probably find a seat pretty easy. Yeah. It's uh, there's going to be something that you like on tap. You're going to have a really good conversation with somebody, maybe about beer, maybe not, but like, it's just, it captures that thing that I think a lot of us fell in love with, with craft beer from, from the beginning. Yeah. The community and aspect of it. The community aspect, but man, I miss the, that the beer, place. The beer's also good. <laughs> I just feel like anytime <laughs> someone says blank site, someone has to say, man, I miss that place. Yeah. It's uh it, it's incredible 
that Blank Slate in in the grand scheme of Cincinnati beer was around for such a short period of time. And how and much that, influence it had. And that it has been gone for as long as it has. Because, I mean, what they closed probably right around the time you guys were opening, right? Yeah, like 2017, after, around yeah, there? shortly after. Um, yeah. And that people are still talking about it. Yeah, it's amazing. They, they, there was something happening there that um, uh, I, I still think people are trying to understand. I, I think to your point um, about being aware of it, I don't think that necessarily I would have been aware of it, except that... I was drinking with a couple other brewery owners and this was right after we won third place overall in the U S open. Uh, we won three gold medals that year. Um, that was a big year for as far as medals for you guys. We won a lot of medals that year. Uh, we won a decent amount last year. Um, but we were sitting like way after hours at this guy's brewery drinking in his bar uh, and he was saying, like, what do you guys want to do next? Like, you can do whatever you want. You could go wherever you want. Like, what what, what do you want to do? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you could literally go into any neighborhood right now, and it would be awesome. Like, people would love it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't think that... I don't think that anybody's even ever heard of us. And he's like, are you... You've lost your... And, and, and so I, I think... I think I'm aware of it because people have like beat that into me, you know, like, Hey, you guys, you got to quit the self-deprecating thing. You got to quit. Like you got to quit. You know, I, I love to like under promise and over deliver, right. you know, I, uh, that's way better for me than the alternative. Uh, and like at some point you got to like, you know, Joey burrow this thing up, you know, and say like, Hey, we're, we're doing really good work here. We're working really hard. We've dialed in a lot of things and what we're doing is a result of hard work and dedication months ago, years ago. This is the process now, you know, how do you stay kind of grounded and humble with that though? Every day I walk into a 2,000 square foot building. <laughs> Start mobbing floors. And, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, my, you should see my office. It's up there. That's... And I've, we spent like four months like carving out storage up there so that I can have a little. It's, it's ridiculous. You've got to like duck and walk. You know, it's, I mean, uh, it's th- there's no. It's not to be an office. Yeah, not at all. It's probably not to code. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, it's, I don't know. I, I think. I think it's it's pretty easy to for us to stay humble with just we're, we're we're just we're working really hard and like with hard work like comes this like this blue collar mindset that like okay anything that we receive is because we're going to earn it you know and no one is no one's we're we're kind of outside of this loop of like like you have to drive past two or three other breweries to get to us for most people, you know? So do you think that if, and this is all hypothetical, if the next step for Neuropath, you decided to go into a different neighborhood, open up a bigger facility, a, a, almost a, a production space for lack of a better way to put it, something where you could crank out more beer, yeah, maybe, I mean, not that it's easier, but easier, yeah. um, little, a little less manual labor behind it. Um, do you think that would take away from kind of what you, what drives you forward with what this is? I don't know. I think that's a great question. And that's, that's one of those things that I lay awake at night and try to think of like, all right, what, what would be the soul sucking piece to that? What, what do we have right now that is soul nourishing you know, like, uh, seltzer. The answer is always seltzer, soul sucking. <laughs> seltzer, more seltzer would be the soul sucking part of it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, 
you know, there, there's this piece of me that thinks, yeah, probably there would be some sort of like soul sucking piece to that. Um, what, what is that? See, it's easy to st- stay humble when like you, sh- you start to hear like crazy weird rattling <laughs> and you think, oh, this whole place is a boiler room. It good. may, ex- <laughs> no, it's, it's totally safe. We just had our inspection. If, if the memory card could survive, that would be a really good yes, podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think about that. I, I think about the places that do expand and something changes. You know, there's a quintessential piece about them that they weren't a- able to carry over. So for me, if we were going to do that, um, not saying that we will or not saying that we won't, but like there would need to be that creative engagement piece. Like there, we, like I would have to buy a couple fooders. I would have to be like inoculating them with weird, crazy right. Britannomyces. You know, like there would be something that, that would be so difficult for me that I would have to like solve, be solving problems. Otherwise, like I do think it would become lifeless. I do think that it would, it would be hard to maintain uh, the energy uh, and the enthusiasm that that we have for what we do now, right? Let's drink another beer. Yeah, sure. Um, you want to you want to go with the cherry, or want to go with the the peach goza? Uh, I'm kind of curious about the cherry now after trying the, right. the the regular one. There you go, quote unquote regular. The regular. Um, so I've I've learned, and it took places like Urban Artifact to teach me that I actually do like cherry beers. Yeah, because for so long, every cherry beer that I tried just tasted like medicine. It yeah. was terrible. Robitussin. And for some yeah. reason now this world has opened up to me and people are, I guess, using actual fruit. And yeah, real cherries. <laughs> yeah, good. how about that? <laughs> I, should, I should have tried this before I say that. Maybe it tastes like medicine. <laughs> if it does, um, no, it shouldn't. <laughs> oh, it smells so good. Oh, no, that's great. So it's it's... The aroma is really light, kind of um, uh, effervescent cherry kind of going on. But then you dive in and it just it hits you big and bold and uh, uh, really like rounded kind of just. Oh, this is this is great. Thanks, man. This is great. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks, man. This stuff gets me so excited. And that's not to take away from the other stuff that you're doing here. Uh, We all love the coconut order. I mean, you know, there's there is some really great stuff coming out of here. But this is. Uh, and again, I don't know that it's the, it's not the difficulty in creating this that I care about. Right. Um, And I I mean that very, very kindly. I don't, (laughs) I don't care how much work this took and I don't care how, how, how difficult it is to do. I just really enjoy the way it tastes. And I, um, yeah, this gets me excited. Cool. Thanks man. Yeah. Yeah. We really need an AirPod in Butler County. I'm just (laughs) make my life so much easier. You guys Uh, (laughs) see what you can do. (laughs) Um, we could go down a whole whole rabbit hole there, but we won't. <laughs> um, so, you, when you when you look back at the last uh, what has it been uh, five five years? Is that right? Yeah. Um, the world of Cincinnati beer. We talked about how it's changing. What are some of the things that you look back on and 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 you look at and like this is this is better now than it was when we started, and maybe what are the things that things aren't as easy as they were when you started. That's a great question. Um, things that are better. Well, this, uh, this can be for either one of you guys too. You can jump in anytime you want your check. I, I, I just think that there are more breweries and like it, it, it seems like 
breweries. Is this a, a better or a worse thing? I, no, I, I, it's good. I, I hope it's better. I, I feel like it's better. I mean, maybe maybe I know a lot of inside baseball and know that the people who are doing breweries in the city are, especially our size or maybe a little bit larger. You know, like they're they're doing it because they they care about an ethic. You know. Um, whether that ethic is community, whether it's the beer, whether it's the environment, like, like people who get into this aren't like, it's work. It's really hard work. And so you, you've got to, you got to love what you're doing and, or you've got to love where you're going. Uh, and like, I, I, I just feel like for the most part, people in craft beer are good people. Beer people are good people. Beer people are good people. They're hardworking. Uh, they're not afraid. For the most get, part. For the, I can name a couple names. Yeah, I can name a couple. Yeah. Um, uh, you need like a B-Sides podcast. <laughs> Actually, when I was driving over here, I've been trying to uh, create some kind of idea for uh, Patreon support. So again, if anybody wants to support the show, go to the gnarlygnome.com slash support. You can sign up for Patreon. You can toss me money each month. And I'm trying to create new ways to give more content for people like that. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea for a podcast called like three beers in or something that's yes. after the show, then yep. the conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what this guy really said. <laughs> yeah. There we were. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, the, the, the hard thing for me is, okay, we, we've started this thing and we started it on a shoestring budget. I don't know that anybody in the city has been able to do what we did for the amount of money that we did it. Um, it, the amount of money was very, very, very low. Uh, and we didn't take money. Owners didn't take money forever. Right. Um, so uh, kind of what it, it's difficult for me to hear of, you know, other places ex- expanding, you know, taking over places like going into places and they're able to do it just because they have a lot of money, you know, um, where, you know, smaller breweries might, might fit better in that locale or, um, I don't know. But uh, that being said, like, I love things like, uh, warped wing coming into Mason and taking over a space that like couldn't survive. Right. Um, like I loved that building when I first went into it. It's beautiful. And then the next owners came in and just like ruined it. Like they just stripped all of the soul out right. of there. So it's very exciting for me to see a, a brewery like Warp Wing come in and have a commitment to creating this really cool neighborhood space that I think will do really well. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's, I don't, I don't know what's better or worse. Uh, it's just different. Like the landscape is different. Uh, as a brewery owner, I'm thinking about things differently now than I did five years ago. Uh, and I, and I presume some of that is because I've matured a little bit as a person and maybe even as a business owner. But it's, it's hard not to do things. If you, if you operate in a, a certain type of business and you see other businesses around you that are existing very differently than you are, if you, if you're a narrow path and you see a March 1st coming into town and then just throwing money around very, very loudly, it's, it's hard to do things the exact same way as you would have done if they didn't exist. Yeah. And it's hard to not create a counter March 1st. I love you guys, but (laughs) it's hard to scary to not create a counter ethic, you know, and say, Oh yeah, 
um, those guys are Goliath and we're David yeah. comes, you know, because that's, that's not necessarily like the, I don't want to create that narrative. You know, I, I, I just want to say, Hey, uh, we care about what we do and we care about community and we cr- care about creating a space where you can in- interact with other people with really good beer. And that's it. I don't want to have any other narrative. You right. know, I don't want to be responding to someone else's, um, strategy or and, and and that's kind of maybe what I'm what I'm feeling that makes things really interesting too when we we, we talk about this idea of in the future possibly expanding to other parts of town sure. where you might be moving into a part of town where somebody already exists so the so my my internal compass says we won't do anything or we won't go anywhere where we can't add value because of who we are, you know, um, I'm, I, 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 like Hamilton seems like a brilliant place to go. And it seems like, man, that's going to be a super great market. But is that, what value could we add to that market? You know? So Fairfield. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. There's a whole county to work yeah, with, apparently. All of the county. All of the, um, yeah. I, I, I don't want to go somewhere because it's a, I don't want to be running to something because it's a good business strategy. Maybe it's because I feel like who we can export our culture, what we do, how we do it to a certain area where it would be really well received right. and it would make a difference in that community. You know, we're, we're always going to be small. We're always going to be presumably, you know, this like small batch handcrafted, um, pretty creative, like switching things up a lot. Um, we're not going to be, a. we don't really, we have a few quote unquote flagships, but really everything on that board is, is born out of creativity or an idea that one of us had over here that was like, Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be fun. How would we do that? I don't know. That's a terrible idea. Wait, no, let's not do that. Wait, no, let's try it. Let's, you know, it, it, like, like that's that sort of thing that keeps us creatively engaged. Um, I think, I think can add value to a community, you know, and especially if they see someone like us who are coming in, I don't know that's going to happen or it's not going to happen, but, uh, if it is going to happen, it's because it's going to because it's going to be because we have a love for what we're doing and we want other people to experience it. Not because we want to make more money or we want to go to uh, an unsaturated market. It's just going to be because we love what we're doing. If you were starting up today instead of when you did, would you do things the exact same way? Um, would do I would have you do the it same? At all? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, do I have the same amount of money? I don't know. If I have the same amount of money, then I'm going to do it the exact same. And and honestly, like this 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 whole space is. If you look at it, every place, it's really an outgrowth of someone's creativity or someone's ethic. You know unless they have a ton of money and they're just paying an architect to make something sexy and cool, you know? But is, is there part of you that thinks that would have been a, I don't want to say a better route to go down, but is that a, is that a route that you look at now? I'm like, man, that kind of, I could have done this or I could have done that, or I could have done things in this, this other way that maybe, maybe I would have liked to have been able to explore. Um, I would have, that's a great question. 
I, I would have uh, start. I would have started with uh, maybe one less partner. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to go down that road. <laughs> well, I, it's it's hard to answer that question without that. Um, no, no worries. <laughs> uh, I, I I I mean that was chosen the people around you, but differently. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean for the most part, like. All of us were driving towards. I think most of the people that listen to the show kind of understand. They understand the the, the history and the story of, of where this place was, where this place is, where this place is going. I think people but, get it. Okay, but to that note, like send me your email scars if you are part of your personality. Do what? Your scars are part of your personality. That's true. Yeah. You know? So going through everything that we've been through since the beginning built our personality. Yeah. Our character. Yeah, and, and I'm really, I'm really happy with where we are, and I'm really proud of how we've gotten here. There are some places, and uh, this is this is not speaking of, of narrow path, but there are there are some breweries around town that uh, they start with a certain um, a certain team, a certain group of people that maybe don't work well together, or uh, some people in the team don't don't produce the way that they they should be, and it it it's, it scars them in a different way to where it's really hard to come back. From that dysfunction, yeah, sure. We'll call it dysfunction, um, for the sake uh, of you know discussion. But but uh, <laughs> that is that it doesn't seem to be the story of narrow path at all. Like, and I I I I don't know exactly what that specific thing is. I don't know if it's a, a community thing, a a personality thing. When people come in here and talk to you, um, I don't know if it's a, a product thing. The product just keeps getting better and better. I I don't know, but um, it the story of narrow paths journey is very different than the story of some other places that have similar kind of history going on. Yeah, um, sure. Do you, what do you think it is? Like, do you, do you think it's, do you think it just boils down to people coming into that bar and talking to people and falling in love with this, this culture of what this place is? Um, do I think that, like our growth has become a part of that, or that, yeah, that 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 makes your story different from other places that maybe have similar stories. Um, I try to I, dance around. Yeah, that that, it's it's <laughs> tricky. I'd, yeah, um, I I I I think that like um, people who come in here or have come in here from the beginning have recognized. Uh, a handful of faces who are working really hard and they really have seen that and appreciated that work. And so those are the, those are the, um, those are the voices that we've, uh, kind of listened to. Those are the, the, the things that, those are the customers that have really kind of steered right. us toward, um, like I know that we could make, you know, a bunch of, you know, fairly bland, Seltzer? Great selling <laughs> beers or seltzers. Um, seltzer's great, by the way. Thanks. Um, uh, oh, that hurt. <laughs> you said that out loud. I saw you panning your eyes. Um, that will surely be edited out. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I, I you think, are mixed fermentation. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I don't know. I think... I think um, I think a lot of those people too kind of saw and recognized and felt what was going on and just their kind of knowing nudges, uh, like, and, and, and them like believing in who we are and what we were doing, uh, in spite of any sort of 
difficulties, like um, those, those are the things that really kept us going. Those are the things that really kept us focused. Um, and uh, like we, we, we doubled down on doing things that like we love to do. And, um, and we realized really quickly that if we make, if we make beer that we love, if we make, if we do things in a way that like gets us excited, that's very easy to sell People and get to invest in your passion. It's, yeah. it's interesting. So I was last week I was at beer kiss and talking to their head brewer, JD, who is, is a great dude. He was talking about the things that he loves to do versus the things that uh, he does just because that's what these people that are coming in want him to do. Yeah. And that, that, that balance between those two is so, in my head, is so difficult to try, to try to understand that thing that keeps you engaged with stuff and trusting that the people that are coming in also feel that same way versus... Yeah. What do you want me to make today, guys? What do you, what do you want to drink? Like, what are you excited about? And yeah, then just you doing that. You can't have the tail wagging the dog too far, or you just you just end up making like right. UDF Sunday like beer, you know. Right. And uh, that saying it out loud sounds actually amazing, but um, <laughs> that doesn't mean that we'll make it. Um, but we're small batch, so we could Taft, make it. Taps already did it, guys. Ah, <laughs> dang it. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, we, we make a handful of beers and I told these guys early on, uh, and I've said, re- repeated it multiple multiple times. We are in business to sell beer. We're not in business to make beer, but if we sell enough beer, we can make whatever we want. We want. So we, we do need to make a handful of beers, but we, we also make those beers. Uh, those beers in a way that we love. Like we, right. like I, I went through like five different versions of trail chaser, the, our American blonde ale until I found one that I loved. And like now, if you sat a trail chaser in front of me, I'd be like, ah, gosh, I love this beer. You know, <laughs> we, um, our tire patch, that's our house IPA. It's tropical citrus has a kind of a softer lingering bitterness. I kind of call it a gateway IPA. Um, I, I, took some to a friend's office um, because he wanted uh, to put a six barrel on at his office. And so I was like dialing in uh, his kegerator tap line. And so like, I ended up with like two pints of this beer and like, I was like, well, I'm not going to dump it. I'm going to drink it. I'm like, this is, I love this beer. Like I, I, I'm, I'm drinking all these other things that are keeping us creatively engaged, but I love this base beer, this house beer, you know? Um, so I, 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 ju- I think just over time, um, you know, we, we kind of dial in a, a, a tap list and, and Chuck's really good about like, um, making sure that like we, we have something that's, uh, that's light up to like super dark, uh, and everything in between. And we get, we get comments from like, I, I have other brewery owners who come in here who are like, man, can I... You, do you care if I just come in like once a month and like take pictures of your tap list? Like (laughs) you guys have a really good balance. And if someone comes here and they can't find something that they like, it's, it's just because they will never like beer. It's one of my, one of my pet peeves. I need to write a a blog post about all of my pet peeves. Patreon, Patreon supporters will get that. But, uh, is when you walk into a place and those of you who do this, you know, I'm talking about you because you walk in and you look at the tap list and there's nothing under 7%. There's, you know, there's, six different pastry stouts and 13 different New England IPAs and 37 barrel aged this and that. And you walk in and I just, 
just kind of wanted something light and easy drinking and it just doesn't exist at all. Right. And mm -hmm. that is so frustrating as a drinker when you want something and you want to get maybe not something, you know, super specific. Like I don't need it to be a super traditional Czech Pilsner that I'm drinking, mm -hmm. but I want something that, that fits that idea in my head. Right. And, um, uh, not everybody does that. And uh, got to give a shout out to, to nine giant, who was the first one that I talked to that really started talking about this of, uh, different taps that have different uh, almost themes to them. Like we, we, this tap always has to be something light. This tap always has to be hoppy. This has to be dark. This has to be sour. Mm -hmm. This has to, you know, that this this uh, this this well curated tap tap list doesn't have to be a specific beer, but it has to be an idea. And um, yeah, we, we there's still a lot of people missing out on that. Absolutely love those guys. And and at that time they were doing that with ten taps. Right. You know, like like that's really hard to commit to. In 10 taps, you know, you, you think, oh, all you have to do is have light, dark, fruity, hoppy, you're good. Right. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot of, it's really hard to do with 10, it's, it's hard for us to do with 15 taps. Right. It, and, and we're about to expand to 17. So you, should like, get a, you should get a little kegerator or something to. <laughs> <laughs> there was no frustration. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, drink some more beer. Yeah, yeah, no, drink no, this first. Right. This oh, is yeah. Peach Goza? This is oh, the yeah. Peach Goza. Um, I don't think I've had this before, but I think I've heard you talk about this before. Yeah, yeah. This is so creativity. This, this so is. This, is, um, this is our uh, Restless Seas Goza, so it's super traditional. Um, uh, but I took some uh, peaches and did a lacto-fermentation. Uh, is this all actual peaches? Yeah. That is peachy. Yeah. It smells like a peach ring in yep. like an actual way. Yeah. This is good. Thanks. Um, but it's clean. You know, it, it finishes nice and dry. It's not overly tart. I, let's go down a little rabbit hole there of, of Goza and what Goza yeah. is or is not or is supposed to be. There has been this trend in the last few years where Gozas just get more and more tart. Right. And I think it misses, to me, the point of what a Goza is really supposed to be. You know, shout out to Blank Slate for... Doing things different. Gosh, I miss them. <laughs> really miss them. That goes. That was my favorite. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's it. It needs to be a super drinkable beer, you know, so that so the tartness can't be so overwhelming. Um, kind of wish we had some other base, just just restless seas for you to try. It's but, this is good. Thanks. Um, so carbonic maceration of lacto fermented peaches. What, what carbonic maceration? So creativity. Uh, what does that mean? So um, there's this book called the Noma Guide to Fermentation. Uh, it's this restaurant. No, no, Noma. No? Not okay. yeah. <laughs> if you uh, are a Patreon subscriber, you would know that. Uh, no. Um, so they just talk about all the different like methods of fermentation um, and ways to bring the maximum flavor of uh, whatever it is that you're trying to ferment into the dish or the drink. Um, so, so carbonic maceration, um, essentially it's, carbonic maceration is like an old winemaking technique for wines that are consumed really fast. So they would really just kind of throw all these grapes into this like kind of tall cylinder and the pressure from the grapes above would kind of press down uh, and squash the grapes that were below the uh, uh, lactobacillus that was on the skins of the grape would start to like chew into these grapes. Uh, the CO2 that was released because of that, like, like it, it, it would burst the cell walls. Oh my God. Yeah, it's crazy. So um, <laughs> you, you got this really expressive, juicy, jammy fruit, but it didn't have the, uh, 
It didn't have like the tannin structure of a wine that's built to, to hold up for three or five or 10 years. So these are wines that are meant to be consumed really quickly, um, but they're like a true expression of the fruit. And they're, they're brilliant and they're bright and they're jammy. Um, so when we made the, the Goza, I was like, man, that would be really cool if we did like... Uh, like a carbonic maceration of like some some peaches. I think it would go really well with that. Um, so I I went to Costco and bought a bunch of peaches and uh, uh, kind of peeled everything, sliced everything, um, and put them in these uh, vacuum seal bags. With a um, pinch of salt. Yeah, yeah. So so you make like a salt brine solution, like two percent salt. Um, uh, and then you you put them in these uh, vacuum seal bags and you you seal them and then you just wait. So you wait like three or four days and so the, the pressure from the bag the, is kind of doing that. Well, no, the, they're, the, they're shrink wrap. They're they're vacuum sealed. Yeah, and then the um, uh, I'll I'll show you the picture later, or maybe you can post it on your Patreon uh, page what it actually <laughs> looks like uh, for your uh, subscribers who are buying you a beer. Um, the the lactobacillus there starts to to chew into those sugars and it kind of creates some CO2 and all of a sudden like those vacuum seal bags inflate to the point where you're like I'm not touching it you touch it <laughs> we, you get it we go grab, on a go grab those things we did it on a Friday and we came in on Monday and it looked like they were about to explode yeah so it was like don't walk in the grain room so then that pressure crushes the cell walls and this juice. So gym. are you adding lactobacillus into the bed? Just nope. what's on them? It's no. just what's on the Natural peaches. Crazy. It's Naturally on the Costco on the peaches. The yeah. Um, at, in the wild at Costco. Yep. That uh, is, that's crazy. Yeah. It's I mean, so you're, you're keeping them at, at room temperature mm-hmm. to, yeah. to let that kind of happen, right? Yeah. Instead of- so then uh, we, so I, I cut those bags, um, put them into a, a, a big uh, like gallon jar, um, and then drained off the liquid. And then I went next door to Tano and I said, Hey man, uh, I don't know where you might use this, but I have like the, probably the world's best peach brine. Like, I think that would be awesome. Pork and chops. I, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> that's I said, what he said. I said yep. dude, if you got some pork chops or something, he's like, Oh no, tonight we're doing sea bass. We're like, give me that. We're, well, I will get some sea bass. Um, so uh, like, like being able to use something like that, across many different dishes. So anyway, I took those peaches, we ran them into our little pilot tank here, uh, let it kind of hang out for a while. It really took on a lot of that really cool peach flavor. So That's this crazy. Is, Again, I, I, I get that the, the difficulty is part of what the, you know, you can get on Oregon fruit products and just order puree and it's, <laughs> it's but different they're not though. carbonic like, mass. My God. <laughs> yeah, this, this, I mean, I, literally, like I just, I just, but, but see, a couple thousand dollars worth of Oregon fruit. But this this is more expressive. <laughs> this is this you get that like super bright like peach I, ring. I, I want like I feel like it should be a requirement that whenever somebody comes up to the bar and orders this beer, like they should be required to understand what went the into amount of this work. beer. Like yeah. I feel like there and and I'm sure it's like that for a lot of different beers for a lot of different people where uh, there is something that went into that that nobody will ever appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really does make it taste better, <laughs> both, both in actual actual flavor and then just that story and knowing what's behind that beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. That's that's. I mean, that th- that this is a beer that I made that it was like, okay, I can't probably make any money doing this right. consistently on a large scale. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like have an owner's keg in the back. 
and we'll pull it out when like friends come over or if someone's sitting at the bar and they really like something, then I'll go and hook up that keg and say, Hey, if you like that, why don't you try this? Right. You know, and, and, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things you about should start a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to put it on tap and he wouldn't let me. Yeah. Multiple times. They, they put it on the coming soon board as if like, I'm going to like let people actually have it. Hey, but. when's that peach Goza coming? It's not. Sorry. Chad wants it. But if you, it's, but if you came and awesome. asked me for it, I'd probably give it yeah. to you. So you know? have you, is there some kind of desire to do this with other fruit then? Yeah. I, so, so this was the first trial of that, you know, I don't know what other fruits work with carbonic maceration like that, but pretty much any, you know, like, uh, berries. Yeah. Berries, berries are great. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I, I've been trying to think of what, what would be a really cool like tank that I could use that I could put a bunch of this stuff in that I could pressurize that I could, uh, do this more easily than just vacuum sealing a bunch of bags and waiting a weekend. Like what if I, if I could do that, if I could buy more fruit, if I could put it in all together and if I could, you know, recirculate the beer, like those are the, those are the problems that keep me creatively engaged that like, how would, that, how would that work in a tank where like you have to keep that pressure on, but then you want it to go up, but you can't go. Does that work on like just a, a tank? Yeah. The, the tricky thing with that is like you, you're, you're really not like um, you're not pureeing this fruit. You know, you're the fruit's really there. So you need some sort of false bottom or I don't know if 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 there's a brewery owner who's listening to the podcast and has a better way to do it. Like, let me know. But I can't <laughs> really figure it out. I feel like Brett at Urban Artifact has some uh, kind of answer to this. I bet I'm sure he does. I, he's probably laughing. Idiots. Yeah, we tried that. They it doesn't work good. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. It'll never work. You'll never make any money. We did that once. I know. I, I can almost guarantee that they've talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't even know where to go from that. That that is that is just like uh, there are some things with process that uh, go way over my head that I don't understand, and, and this is probably one of them that I don't really understand it completely. But uh, just fascinate me so much and get my brain just a uh, little little scrambled, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I mean, e e even like talking about it, I'm like, I think this is right, but my brain's a little scrambled about it, you know, yeah. and it makes sense. But like, even process wise, like uh, having done it, it's like, oh, how, how did that work? I like, I, I get it because I read it, but like, I need to do it, you know? Well, and and it, there are things that like the actual result that you're getting from it, there are probably other ways to get that that are probably simpler ways that maybe aren't as fun. Right. <laughs> and, and, and how many things within brewing exist that are done maybe a little bit harder than they probably have to be done just because of the process yeah. and how much joy people get from the process. Right. Um, uh, speaking of process, like one of my favorite beers to make is the uh, Better Burden. Mike, will you grab like just a couple of the Better Burden? Um, so that's, that's a collab that we did with the guys at Nine Giant. Uh, we did it last year. Um, it's a uh, traditional Norwegian farmhouse style. I think uh, Caleb will be all right with me calling a farmhouse style ale and not a farmhouse ale. I can't remember. No, no I can't say. It's a Norwegian, Norwegian style. style. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Although I guess if you want to go down a crazy part of it, you nobody nobody's in a farmhouse here. So that's true. <laughs> it's yeah, a so, Norwegian style farmhouse style. Um, so ale. So we, we've been talking uh, with uh, Mike and Chris at Nine Giant for, for a while about doing a collab together. Um, and w we were like, what do you guys do that, that, that you're really good at um, that we don't do? What are the things that we do that, you know, and, and, or, or what, what are the things that we would really like to do? And at that point, like, 
Um, I know Esoteric now is doing a lot of Belgian stuff and they're killing it. Um, love those guys. Belgian style stuff. Yeah, Belgian style stuff. Thank you. <laughs> they they um, have not been to Belgium to brew, as far, as far as I know. Um, but we're like, let's do some Belgian style beers. Uh, so we started like talking about kicking around different recipes, but this book came out about like traditional Norwegian farmhouse style brewing. Um, and I went over and Mike was like, Hey, did you get this book? I said, yeah. How far are you into that book? You know? (laughs) And he was like, wouldn't it be crazy if we did something like this? I said, I would love to do something like that. (laughs) Like who else is going to do it? Like who else in the city is going to like, right. Uh, so, so we did it last year and it was crazy. It was wild. Like I, uh, so part of, uh, part of making that style of beer, uh, as true to style as possible is to use, uh, juniper branches in the mash. Okay. But we don't have juniper here. Um, that's not, you know, like chemically sprayed and ornamental. Um, like you can't go forage, a lot of juniper here. So, uh, the closest non-toxic relative, uh, to juniper is Eastern red cedar. Uh, so there's a buddy of mine who manages a conservancy just South of Maysville, Kentucky. Um, so uh, we went down and foraged a bunch of Eastern red cedar. So I cut it up, uh, bailed it up, brought it back, brought it back to the brew house. We put it into, uh, the hot liquor tank and let it steep overnight. Um, and immediately it got like crazy punchy fragrant. And I like walked off the brew deck around behind the bar and immediately apologized to everyone at the bar. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I had no idea it, it would like, be this so it's in, it punchy. It's, it's in the hot liquor tank. So it's just in water. You're yeah, just, just in, water. in water. And it was so unbelievably fragrant at that point that like, I was like, I promise that's an IPA and I know that you can't smell it, but um, this is this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. I'm so, I, I had no idea. And they're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like I would like, I see, <laughs> so I feel like it would smell like Christmas. It does. It does. It, it, That's it, what the Andrew next door. Um, the manager at Tana walked next, walked over and was like, what are you guys doing? It smells like Christmas. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And he's like, no, can you do this for the next month? <laughs> the the like, entire all, town of Loveland. Yeah. It smells like a Hallmark movie. Like this <laughs> is incredible. It smells like you think Lebanon should smell all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> so we so we did that one last year, and it was it was good. Uh, but we we're like, okay, what are the tweaks that we want to do? So we changed a little bit of the timing. We changed some of the ingredients. We added a little bit of like a two like percent like smoked alderwood smoked malt. Um, so it's it's really it's it's this beer is nuts. This is my favorite beer to make. Wow. This is really good. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's shockingly balanced for yeah. what your nose is telling you you're about to experience. Well, and it's not what you expect. You know, when I, when I hear uh, Norwegian farmhouse, ale, I, I expect like some kind of like a Saison made with some kind of goofy yeast or something. Some, some yeasty characteristics. Yeah, this is, funk, maybe, this is, this no. is wild. It's a, uh, a uh, very like, um, uh, reminds me a little bit of, um, some kind of, a. Uh, hang on. Almost like a like a like a like a light cocktail. Like there's like some kind of like a um, there's definitely some smoke going on, but then that 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 herby kind of yeah, it's outdoorsy got, yeah thing. Yeah, it's got like a little bit of that like juniper gin <laughs> kind of note. Yeah, yes. Has, um, so 
so this this batch one of the thing one of the tweaks that we also did was uh, Caleb who uh, is now at Nine Giant. Uh, he um, he loves Kvike yeast and like he even like flew over to Norway and went to like their homebrew gathering and like he brought back nine different Kvike yeast. So he was like, these are the ones that we have. Uh, these are the ones that I have that are dried uh, in my freezer. If there are any that you want to use, let me know. So we we said, all right, let's let's use that one. So so we kind of tweak the yeast instead of using like the commercial Vosk Vike yeast. Right. Um, this one's called Stallion, um, and it's 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 awesome. This is wild. Like this is a really really good beer. Yeah, thanks. Um, and what I love about this beer, um, actually, like come here and drink it or go to nine giant and drink it and tell them how much you love it. Because I, I love the process of it. I love, uh, I love, I love going and foraging, uh, the cedar. Like it's, it's a, it's a wholly consuming process to make and to have something at the end of that. That's lovely is remarkable. I'm really curious to how this changes as it warms up in the glass too. Like, I feel like this is one of those beers that as you drink it over, you know, the span of how long it takes you to drink a beer, it's going to, it's going to change dramatically. This is, this is fun. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. And like, that's what you get with doing small batch stuff. A lot of breweries couldn't make this because it would, like they couldn't make enough of it to make it worthwhile or they wouldn't want to devote that amount of tank space to it. But for us, we can make a five barrel batch of it. But so even, you know, and there's another beer sitting in front of me. We should probably take a couple sips of that while we talk about this part as we wrap things up. Um, uh, barrel aging in general. Yeah. You guys, like you mentioned, have a very small space. 2,000 square feet, is that what you said? It's a, it's a very small space. A big chunk of it is taken up by the brew house. Yeah. Another big chunk of it from, you know, cold box and bar and that kind of stuff. It's, it's not a huge place. Right. Uh, even the idea of dedicating some of that floor space to barrels is uh, probably not quote unquote the right way to do things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's probably not. And these are not our most like uh, commercially viable beers. Um, in, in, in the way of people aren't buying them or they just don't make any money when people do buy them. <laughs> Um, we, we make, we make money when people do buy them for sure. Even when you include time as an ingredient. Um, but like for the amount of effort and energy and attention we put towards these beers, like we could make trail chaser 60 times, you know? Um, so like they're profitable for us creatively to do. Um, they're, they're not not profitable financially um and they're they're they are one of those things where it's like okay let's man wouldn't it be cool if we like once we get things going if we time it right if we could always have a barrel aged line you know right um so we'll so we're working towards and i we've we've pretty much dialed in uh, the timeline now where we can um we can always have something that's barrel aged on a on a draft line um we we don't really have like much room to do any canning. We've got a little bottler, you know, that we can that we can manually do all the bottling stuff. And so we'll we'll start to do a little bit more of that. Um, but if you put it in a bottle in our cooler, 
there are so many other options that people don't even see the cooler. Right. Um, so for us to have something on draft and they're like, oh, man, that's really good. That, that barrel-aged uh, Belgian quad, that's, that's super good. Uh, can I get, yeah, actually, we have some in bottles right here, you know? And if we didn't have it on draft, they probably wouldn't even see it and know that it was that good, right. you know? Have you seen a, a, a difference in people knowing about those beers that are in the cooler now versus, you know, when, when did you release those first bottles? Was it two years ago? Yeah, so the first bottles we did were mixed fermentation, right. long-form Belgian sour beers, and those things, those were world-class. They still, were they're still drinking incredible. so good, you guys. Thanks. <laughs> but no one bought them. Like, there were a handful of people that bought a handful of those bottles, but because we couldn't, because we were asking people to buy, uh, like... Product that they aren't able to try, because right. we're, we weren't willing to put a, a mixed fermentation wild culture on tap at sure. that point. At that point... But then I went, I uh, I went and bought a bunch of pawpaw fruit from uh, this place called Integration Acres in Athens, and so I thought, well, when in Athens, so I went to Little Fish, hung out with those guys for a little bit, and I was like, they've got like three or four mixed fermentation beers on. Screw it, we're doing it, yeah. you know. And if I have to just cut that line and replace it because it's you know infected after the fact, if I have to replace that whole mechanism the tap head like all of that stuff i don't care we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna try to keep on a a a clean barrel age we're gonna try to keep on uh, a mixed fermentation line um you know the rate that those beers flow through here there's no reason that right now the way that it's set up we can't we, we shouldn't be able to do that so so we might as well do it and the people who want Trail Chaser or Tire Patch will come in and they will order that. But the people who come in and want to be a little bit more adventurous or the people who come in and say, ah, uh, uh, okay, I'll take, the, I'll, ta- I'll take your house IPA and my wife likes white wine. What do you got? I'll right. say, you know what? Actually, I would love it if she tried this Essentia Golden Sour. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's going to hate it. All right, that's fine. It's not going to cost her anything to try right. it. You know? And it's like, oh my gosh, like, how much of this can we legally take home today? Mm-hmm. You know? So you've definitely seen an uptick in people adopting those beers. Yes. Uh, but whether or not it's because of them trying it from before or the fact that you just have it on tap now makes it easier. Yeah, it makes definitely makes it easier. <laughs> makes them more comfortable. Yeah. Right. Uh, what is this beer here? It's a brown bear. It's a brown bear with uh, espresso. So it definitely smells yeah. like coffee. So this is... Uh, so brown bear. So we... Uh, so we came back from uh, the Craft Brewers Conference, and Chuck was like, man, let's make a Russian Imperial Stout. Let's, I was like, all right, fine. He's been saying that for two years. So uh, wrote a recipe, and it... Uh, on paper, it looked great. On paper, it looked great. And actually, now it looks great. But during like mid-fermentation, when all the yeast was in suspension, like this was still very malt-forward. It was overly sweet. You couldn't call it a Russian Imperial Stout. It wasn't bitter enough. It wasn't right. dark enough. Um, so we, so I was like, ah, oh, what are we going to do? Uh, so I wrote another recipe. So my original thought was, okay, I'm going to write another recipe. It's going to go way on the other end. It's going to be super dark. It's going to be, it's going to be significantly more bitter. Uh, and then we'll blend the two, uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll see what we get from there. Well, it turns out that actually both beers separately became really, really, really good. <laughs> Brown beer was, uh, as particularly adept at, um, Variants. So the first one we did was a uh, uh, hickory nut and fenugreek, 
fenugreek is a seed that kicks uh, like a ton of like maple uh-huh. note to it. Um, so this has uh, fenugreek. And it's also as- good if you're uh, breastfeeding for any of the moms out there. That <laughs> should have been only on the Patreon <laughs> Uh, edit. It's the only yes. time I've, I've ever heard of fenugreek is because I had to go find it for my wife when we had Most our, people our have not heard of it. <laughs> That's so. not You're ahead of the game. Um, this is what not going to help, that? though. If you're breastfeeding and you're drinking a ton of the beer to get yeah, your fenugreek, yeah. but not maybe, a great maybe a glass not a good probably, source probably for good. pregnant women. Is there, there was something, um, there is, <laughs> this is a different rabbit hole, uh, you know, and I know that there was a lot of bullshit behind Guinness's marketing over time, but uh, something about stouts in general being better for moms when they were breastfeeding, there's there's something there to that that sign. I'm sure it's not Does, fenugreek and all Irish of this, but there's something crazy. going on there with stouts, too. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. Spear is probably great for breastfeeding. I'm just saying. Probably <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> Your kids are going to be awesome. <laughs> my kids are my kids are terrorists. I just yes. figured out what I did wrong. <laughs> well, oh wait, <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> um, this is delicious. It's not super bitter. Uh, the uh, I think that the what people want out of imperial stouts and what maybe quote unquote traditionally imperial stouts have have been throughout the years is definitely shifting and changing though too over time yeah for sure and if i think if you put a super traditional imperial stout on tap i think people are going to be a little bit disappointed with it they want something with a little bit more body a little bit more rounded they don't want that um that historically accurate (laughs) right when we were designing that we tried to do we tried to balance that and realize that that's what people want versus right. what the historic Russian imperial stout should be. Right. Um, so maybe that's why on that first run when we did that, we feel like we fell a little short on that bitterness or right. that roasty backbone. So It leaned too far, yeah. consumer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it turned out that that beer was great, um, but it wasn't really what we wanted. The second beer that we brewed was like, ah, that's it. That's what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of that is in uh, bourbon barrels right now. Uh, one will be released as long as it's ready for our five-year anniversary uh, on St. Patrick's Day this year. The next will be a Black Friday release um, that'll spend a little bit more time in that barrel. Right. Um, but yeah, this is just a... Uh, like, like, we actually stopped internally calling it a Russian Imperial Stout because we didn't want to confuse our sensibilities. We just right. started calling this an Imperial Brown Ale. I it's, like that. I If... Uh and not that I, I don't think that this is an imperial style, but um, I, I find a lot of people putting beers on tap that aren't exactly what the style that they're calling it is supposed to be. And as a drinker, as a maybe a nerdy drinker, I walk in and I see that. I'm like, okay, I, I have this image in my head now of what this is going to taste like. And it's if it's not what that image in my head is, then now the experience starts from a different place than if you just call it, what you think it actually ended up being. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if you have to create your own styles, you know, just make something up for me so that I know what it tastes like. And we're trying to do like uh, beers that are very palatable for the consumer, but we're also doing some like historical style stuff. Right. Like, uh, so we did a Kentucky Common, uh, which is a really cool old style of beer that actually I didn't like in the fermenter until it like really kind of conditioned well. Yeah. It's like up to one third uh, corn. So it has this really interesting uh, sweetness to it. Um, but there's a, there are a lot of dark roasted grains because at 
when they were brewing this in the late 1800s, like they were trying to like figure out how to dial in some of the pH. They added some dark grains, so there's a there's a, a touch of uh, a touch of like nutty roastiness to it, but right. there's also like a lot of that sweetness in the corn. But it's super drinkable. It's four and a half percent. We've got a, a how do you say it, Chuck? The pivo. Pivo Grochiskia. Yes. <laughs> Chuck is very excited about the correct pronunciation of that historical style of beer, but it's a, it's a Polish beer that's mm-hmm. almost 100% oak smoked wheat malt, right. uh, but it's like 3.8%. Yeah. Um, so it's super light, very easy drinking, um, but it's a, it's a smoked beer. Yeah. So it's got this like, either you love or you hate smoked what, beer. What do I say when, when I taste that beer? I crave kielbasa. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's odd, but... I mean, that oak smoked wheat really shines through and that characteristic carries through. So kind of a little bit of what we're trying to do here is to have (laughs) like a really good, cool, full spectrum tap list, but a lot of things that like are very interesting, a lot of things that uh, that are historical as well. Like we try to brew our Dunkel very historically. We try to brew our Oktoberfest very historically, our, our, our Doppelbach very historically. Um, so we're so we're trying to do a lot of that historical stuff, almost as a teaching point for people who come in, um, like a, like a lot of quote unquote new money craft beer people, you know, who are like, oh yeah, I'd, you know, I I I hate hop slam now, right. you know, but I used to stay in line for it, you know. It's like okay, well let's let's explore other kinds of beer, let's let's other types of beer. Um, so we're, we're trying to make you know, kind of smaller batches of those beers to educate the consumer, but also like, um, engage us into these more, like we're not just dumping a bunch of lactose in, into this right. particular beer. We'll do that if that's appropriate, if that's the style that we're trying to make, but we're not going to, we're not going to do anything that's, you know, way out of bounds for a very historical style of beer. We want it to be as historical as possible. Right. I I love it. I love what you guys are doing here. It it, it definitely uh, it engages me as both a drinker and as a nerd. Like I, <laughs> and I, I I hope that that's a compliment. That but, um, is I, what I, we wanted I to it. hear. I absolutely yeah. love it. And um, from the drinking side, you guys have a killer uh, you, backyard. Do you call it the backyard? Beer it's, garden it's the backyard. backyard. Uh, it's just this. Green space out back, right on the bike trail in the summertime. It is incredible in the wintertime. You can sit inside an igloo, and it's also wonderful. So um, on Thursday, when it's ice is raining down from the heavens, come here and sit in an igloo and, and drink a whole bunch of, of beer, and it, uh, it'll be We'll pleasurable. tell you stories about <laughs> Kentucky Common and bootleggers, etc. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for sitting down with me, making some time uh, for the show to come out here and talk to you guys about uh, about what this is all about. Anytime. I, if, uh, Anytime. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back in another five, five years. years. Guys. <laughs> five years. <laughs> um, if you guys haven't been to Narrow Path, it's downtown Loveland. Downtown Loveland is... Uh, incredible right now like the things that are happening down here is it's really really fun um of course you know cappy's is here but bishop's quarter right next door if you uh if you like sitting out in the sunshine and drinking beer and uh eating really great food there's it's so much fun down here it's amazing how many people don't realize that there's a brewery right across the street from cappy's <laughs> right like <laughs> right. they go to cappy's for the beer right. because they have a huge selection a great right. bottle shop one of the best in the area but then they're like 
oh, there's actually a brewery, like literally right yeah. across the street. A non-distribution brewery that you can't get their beer. I feel like there. when you used to go to Kings Island and there was those big beast paw prints that led you back to the beast, I feel like that should exist from <laughs> Cappy's right across the street. <laughs> little, just beer like little beer mugs on the street. Or something oh, this way, right we'll here. totally do that. <laughs> Daggone it. I'm going to go get a stencil right now. <laughs> uh, if there's anything that you think people don't know about Narrow Path that you guys want them to know, uh, this is this is your chance to let them know. I just think, like, we're here every day doing our best work, and we're putting our whole heart into doing our best work here. The whole team. There's not one of us who's not fully engaged in what we're doing or why we're doing it here. And if you're... We're happy for you to drink at any brewery. But if you're like, man, I would love to check out Narrow Path, but it's a long drive. It's if it's if you come out here and it becomes not worth it to you, let me know. I'll pay mm -hmm. your tab. Mm -hmm. But I think it's probably going to be worth it to you. Yeah, I, I I don't know that anybody who has come here that I've talked to has been disappointed when they left. There were definitely people like ah, I don't want to go there, but everybody who comes here has left happy that I've talked to, and that's. Uh, sometimes that's a hard thing to do in today's craft beer marketplace, especially when you guys don't have, you know, 13 different Skittle infused, you know, lactose laden, whatever. Should we do that? Uh, no, you should not do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you guys very much. I yeah, really, 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 out, really love what you're doing here. And I know that a lot of other people do also. There's a lot of other people that as I'm um, telling you, you need to come to Butler County. Like, no, they need to go here. They need to go here. They need to go here. Everybody wants it to be easier for them to get your beer. And that's, that's a sign that you're doing something right. So keep it up. Good to hear. Thanks, man. Nice. Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. 